Today, we are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians, uh, going through the entire book. Uh, Last week, we started with chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Today, we are going to continue on verses 10 through 17, and we're going to work our way through this book. We may skip little sections here or there, but the goal is to go through the entire letter because um, it helps us to get a greater understanding of what God is trying to speak when we read the letter as a whole. You know, uh, when we watch movies, you don't watch the first half hour, then skip 15 minutes, then another 10 minutes, and skip another 40 minutes, and then just watch the very ending, right? You don't really get what the movie is about that way. And it's the same thing with any letter. If somebody wrote you a letter or an email, you wouldn't read parts of it here or there. You read the whole thing to get the context and really understand what the author of that letter or email is trying to say. And it's no different with any book of the Bible. So we're going to be working our way through 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. It says this, I appeal to you, I as Paul, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did, not baptize, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So going back to this uh, picture that I showed last week. This is a screen grab from uh, the Bible Project video on 1 Corinthians. And again, if you have not uh, watched this, it's about eight minutes long, and it's really worth your time. It's a great overview of what this book is about. And as I mentioned, Paul um, talks about many different problems and issues and sins that were going on in the Corinthian church. And uh, he started off in verses one through nine with a really loving heartfelt, genuine encouragement to the Corinthians and about how he thanked God for them, how he was filled with thanksgiving for them at the grace of God that was filling them and how they were enriched with the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that were real and at work within them. Paul genuinely meant this and was encouraged by who they were. But now in verse 10, we get into this first issue that is covered in chapters one through four on division, division that was within the church. Brothers and sisters, and the first point, what I want to talk about here is the destructiveness of division. Now, what was happening was that there were certain factions developing within the Corinthian church. How did Paul know this? Well, because some people from Chloe's household, from Chloe, went and told Paul that this was the case. Who was Chloe? What's going on here? Well, Paul 
most likely wrote this letter to the Corinthians from the city of Ephesus. That's where he wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to be sent to the city of Ephesus, now uh, to the city of Corinth. How did he know what was happening in Corinth? Well, there was this wealthy woman in um, Ephesus. Her name was Chloe. And there were some people, scholars think that they may have worked for her, that traveled back and forth between Corinth and Ephesus for work as a part of their business, as a part of Chloe's business. So some of these people were Christians. So as they traveled from Ephesus to Corinth, they would go and see what was going on in the church at Corinth. Maybe Paul asked them to see what was going on. And they came back with news to Paul that there was, you know, that all was not good in Corinth, that there was division, there was strife, there were these factions that were forming. Um, and these factions were basically uh, like people saying, you know, I'm on team Paul because Paul is great. And then there are other people who are saying, no, I'm team Apollos. Apollos is the bee's knees. And he's the one that really we should be following. And, and maybe there are some people who are saying, I'm on team Cephas. Look, Cephas, Peter, he's one of the original disciples, one of the 12. Wow, we really should follow him. And then there are some who are being really kind of maybe cute, really spiritual, being like, I'm on team Jesus. I'm the most spiritual one. You guys are in these different factions and stuff, but I'm on team Jesus. I'm not in a faction, but then they actually made a faction when they did that. So they undermined themselves. But the bottom line is there was, there was this division within the church and they were quarreling as a result of this. They were fighting. You see, when we see the word quarreling, we, we shouldn't um, minimize that into thinking like, Oh, quarreling. It's like a little bit of bickering. It's not that big of a deal. Actually, the word in Greek is much stronger than that. It, it entails strife. It in, entails intense division and conflict and contention between people, which is what we see. They formed teams and cliques, and they were against each other, and certainly they were against Paul. As you read through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you can see that their relationship was strained. Uh, there, there was a lot of division there. Brothers and sisters, division is so destructive. This is why Paul appealed to them that they would agree with one another and that there would not be this division. Brothers and sisters, if the church, if the church of God is plagued with infighting, honey, I'll take one of those too, actually. Thank you. If it is divided amongst itself, if there is infighting within the church, how will the church be able to do the work of God? How can they accomplish anything for the Lord? If you're a sports fan and you're watching your favorite team play against another team, something like that, you know that when you see your team, the teammates start to fight with each other, you know the game's over, right? <laughs> If you're into sports, when you see people on your own team start to fight with each other, one guy gets mad at the other because you're not playing as hard. The other guy was like, you were supposed to cover that person in the backfield. How come you didn't? It's your fault. And they start fighting each other. They start like throwing their helmets around or whatever sport it is you're watching. You know right then and there, game's over. Forget about it. Because if they're fighting each other, there's no way they can fight the other team. There's no way that they can win the game when there's division and infighting amongst themselves. Jesus said as much 
in Mark chapter three, he said, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. That's a principle that he said there. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Brothers and sisters, if there's division within the church, the church will not be able to stand, let alone advance the kingdom of God and do God's work. Some of you, if you've been around church long enough, you may have experienced significant division in your own life and in your own relationships. Um, In my past, I certainly have. There were, at one point, many years ago, in a church that I was in, in a faraway land in a different place, there were two people that something developed between these two people, and they, they had issues with each other. And um, uh, I don't even know what it was. Somebody hurt somebody else, and they couldn't work it out. And this became a source of tension within the church and in their relationship. Now, you know, hopefully in these situations, two people will get together, talk it out. Maybe some people can help them and they work through things. But that's not what happened. This division between these two people got deeper and deeper. And it became more and more firmly entrenched. And it became this type of animosity towards each other, avoidance of each other in a church that was not all that big, that went on not only for days, Not only for weeks, not only for months, but for years. Years and years and years. There was this division that was there that was never dealt with, that was never worked out. And as far as I know, to this day, I don't think it was ever worked out. I could be wrong, but it just lasted and lasted and lasted. And it it wasn't just isolated to these two people. And then that's no big deal. It's just two people within the church. But then, you know, of course, people, they begin to share their side of the story with other people or people they're close to. And then there's a tendency to to be tempted to take sides or to get involved and to create factions or groups within the church. And, and, And the thing is, brothers and sisters, these two people, they loved God. They loved God. They were talented. They were gifted. They did their quiet time. They served the Lord. They were committed to Jesus. But so much of their energy was spent on this division between each other that all of that energy that could have been spent in serving God and advancing the kingdom of God instead got wrapped up in this division with each other. Their thoughts got wrapped up in how the other person wronged me, how the other person hurt me, instead of thinking about Christ and how to lift up his name and make his name known. And it certainly filtered into the church as well and affected the church. Even if people didn't know about what was going on, these things have a ripple effect and will affect the body. We can't, we cannot advance the kingdom of God if we are a house that, are divided against, that is divided against itself. Maybe some of you, if you've been around the church long enough, I mean, maybe some of you have even experienced church splits. Maybe you've been a part of a church where there was a lot of turmoil and division and nastiness and even potentially a church split at the end of the day over things that were not godly, but were over reasons that were ungodly. And it's left a really painful mark 
in your soul. Maybe you know of some people who've walked away from the church because of that, who've said the church is no different than the fighting and the politics that I see at work or, or amongst those other people or in, or in the politics of our country. What's the difference? And they walked away. A house divided against itself cannot stand. This is why Paul said, I appeal to you, Corinthian brothers and sisters, let there be no division amongst you. Let there be no division amongst you. Now, what can we do? What do we do to prevent this division? Now, there are some practical things that we can do and, and that we do try to do. You know, for example, we have Discovery Renewal, our, our class that tells you what our church is about. It's like going on a full disclosure first date where we tell you, like, everything we believe, all the important points, and we just want you to know up front, like, hey, this is the kind of church we are. We're not the only church in this world, and, and if you can jive with the things that we believe in and our secondary issues and all that kind of stuff, then, hey, welcome. But if there's anything here that's, that's really a deal breaker for you or not your vision of Christian life, it's okay. Find a church where you can, you can really embrace their vision. We try to do things like that. We could try to avoid division by, by, by trusting church leadership. Um, you know, when we have division, to be able to trust the shepherds that God has placed over us. And I am not always going to get it right. I will definitely get it wrong at times. And I ask for your patience and your prayers. But that's one thing we can do. We can say, God, I'm going to trust in the leadership of this church, even at times when we're divided. We can, we can do things like that. And they are important. But what I want to talk about, I want to go deeper right now, and I want to go into our hearts on an individual level, into our hearts, because I think there's something going on deeper within us that leads to this division that we need to understand. Paul, he kind of reveals this later on in chapter 3. So I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So what Paul is saying here, when he's saying human there, he means carnal fleshly. You see, this division between Apollos and Paul and maybe Cephas, between these people, it's, it's not for a good reason. It's not like they're saying, you know, I, I think Paul is theologically more on point on this issue, so we disagree with Apollos on this, and we think this is important. So we are going to follow Paul on this. And some other people are like, well, we disagree with you, brothers. We think that Apollos is actually right here. So we disagree. Let's go to the Bible together and study this and really seek to understand what God is saying. That's not how they were approaching it. Paul says that there was jealousy and strife among them. This was a carnal fleshly type of division. And it wasn't caused by Paul or Apollos. Paul wasn't causing this. We know that Apollos wasn't either because if you read through the rest of 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to have good things to say about Apollos. He doesn't put him down as the leader of some rebellious faction. What was going on here was the people. They were the ones, the ones who were following Paul 
were causing the factions. The ones who were following Apollos, they were the ones causing the factions because there was jealousy and strife in their hearts because it became about themselves, not even the person that they were following. What do, you, what do you mean by that, Ulysses? What I mean by that is this. What was really going on is when somebody said, I follow Paul, they weren't saying, you know what? I really respect and admire Paul. And I think that we should, I think he's right theologically and we should follow him here and not Apollos. What was really going on deep in their heart was saying, I follow Paul. And because Paul is somebody, I'm somebody as well. I mean, look, missionary, apostle to the Gentiles. He works harder than anybody else. Look at all the churches that he's planted. Look at all, all that he's done. I follow him. Therefore, I am somebody because I follow him. People who were following Apollos, they were like, Paul? That guy can't speak. When you listen to him, he's not very impressive. What is he babbling about? We can't really understand him. He's not that impressive. But have you heard Apollo speak? Man, he's so eloquent. He's so wise. He's so well-read and gifted. And he's such a good orator. And, you know, I follow Apollos. Therefore, I am also somebody who's sophisticated and wise and and. and and cosmopolitan because I follow Apollos. This is what was going on. Jealousy, strife, not legitimate theological differences that they were trying to work through. Brothers and sisters, we always want to associate with somebody that we see as a winner, as somebody that we see as important because it makes us feel important. It's about ourselves. This is why when a team wins the Super Bowl or the NBA championship, their jersey sales go through the roof because everybody wants to wear the jersey of a winning team because you want to associate with the winning team. Warriors, I see a lot of Warriors gear around our church and for good reason. I used to be a Knicks fan. I don't wear Knicks gear. It was a difficult, difficult period of my life. It was the Jordan years as well, which is why, right? There's a good reason. But here, everybody wears Golden State gear. Why? Because they're winners. And when you wear that, you're saying, I am a winner as well. I am with a winner. Look at me. That's what we do. We wear things like that because we want to be associated with winners. It's about ourselves and our own ego, our own reputation. James says the same thing when he says, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Same, same word there, quarrels, right? Quarrels, fighting, strife. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? When he says passions there, he doesn't mean like the kind of good kind of passion that we mean nowadays of like, oh, what are you really into or what are you really passionate about? What he's saying is he's talking about your flesh, your carnal nature, the things that your flesh just wants, and you, you become jealous because you want to be seen as more of a somebody than the other person. It's a passion for our own name and our own reputation. Even Jesus' disciples, they did this when they were arguing. One time they were arguing, and Jesus later, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. 
For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They were arguing and fighting with each other because everybody wanted to be number one. I'm number one. We want to be elevated. We want our own name to be lifted up. At the same time, too, when this is going on in our heart, when these are our passions, we also want to push other people down. Look what happened once. John said to Jesus this, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. He's not one of us, Jesus. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. John was like, Jesus, they're not with, with team Jesus. They're not with team apostles. Team 12 right here. So who are they to go out and cast out demons? Who do they think they are? They're not special. And Jesus said, no, man, we're on the same team. Don't tell them to stop. When we, our passions, what, what they tend to do, our fleshly selves is we want to lift up our own name and we want to push down and suppress the name of others. That's what's happening here. That's what's behind these factions and this division. This is, brothers and sisters, this is something that we all have to look out for within each and every one of our hearts, myself included, definitely myself. You know, you know we, we've been looking for a church building for a while now. I've been working with a broker. We would love to be able to find a place that we can lease or if God wills, purchase and, and to be able to have a permanent space and you know, no more set up and tear down and everything's all set and rooms for the kids. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah, set up team and they're all clapping there. Um, rooms for the kids all set up and decorated and, and you know, during the weekdays to be able to have our prayer meetings and other meetings and not always look to the home of Christ or Trinity and be asking, looking for space. We would love to be able to do that. And I've been looking with a broker for like over about a year now. But as you probably can guess, in the Bay Area, this is not easy. The Bay Area is very expensive, very expensive. It's hard to compete with Facebook or Google for space. Um, it's also not the most church-friendly place in terms of, you know, the city governments letting more churches lease places or buy places and take away from their revenue and things like that. It's a difficult place. So you can imagine if you find a building, if you find something that can work for you, that's a big deal. One day the broker called me and said, hey, Ulysses, I got something that I think is really interesting that I'd like you to take a look at. I was like, oh, okay. And he, he shared with me about this particular building and I started to get excited. I was like, oh, hey, I think this could work. I think the price is right. I think the space is workable and, and pretty good. I think the location is pretty good as well. Oh my gosh, I think we might've found something here. Praise the Lord, let's, let's find out more about this. And, and as I, I began to dig into this more, I got more and more excited about this and was thinking, did we actually find a building here? And then all of a sudden I had this thought come into my mind. Oh, wait a second. What about your friend, the pastor of that other church? who's about to get kicked out of their space and they need a building. Would this building actually work better for them? And then I said, get behind me, Satan, that thought. No, 
Where, where did that come from? Demonic voice. Uh, but you know, like the, the more I thought about this, the more I couldn't shake that. I started thinking, my friend here, I know he's about, his church is about to get kicked out of their meeting location. They're about the same size as our church. They're going to be out on the streets if they don't find a place to meet. We thankfully have been here for five years and could be here for much longer, God willing. They need a place more than we do. I reluctantly pulled out my phone and texted him and said, you know, um, if I were to find a place or, you know, just curious, like what kind of place are you looking for? Like, where are you hoping to be? And he said, oh, brother, thanks so much for thinking of us. Oh, this is the kind of location that I think, why am I using my thumbs? I'm like a Blackberry days or something. He's like, this, this is, I'm aging myself. This is, where, this is where I think would be perfect for us. And then when he told me, I was like, oh, man, this building is right where they would want to be. It's closer to where they were, and it would be just a perfect fit for them. For us, it could work, but it's a bit further away. It's not exactly right. And then I just, I just couldn't shake in my heart like, oh, this, this building would fit them better. But in my heart, I was thinking, man, if we got that building, it would be good for us. And our church would grow and, 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 and things would be able to prosper and we'd be able to, you know, become a better church and grow as a church. And at the end of the day, what would that mean? It would reflect better upon me. It would reflect better upon me. But I know that in my heart, at the end of the day, if they got this building, it would be a bigger win, win for the kingdom of God, for the name of of Jesus. So I reluctantly resisted the passions of my flesh. And I told him, I said, Hey, bro, I found this building. I think you could check it out. He's like, thank you so much, man. Thank you. I was like, you're welcome. I love you, bro. <laughs> and a uh, good thing text doesn't show emotions. And I sent no emoji along with that. And then later he came back to me. He said, you know what? Thank you so much, but I, I don't think this is going to work for us. I said, yes. God, I was faithful. I was faithful. Thank you, Lord. And as you can tell by now, it also ended up not working out for us as well. It's a, it's a long story. It didn't work out for both of us. But, you know, it was so hard for me. I know theologically that at the end of the day, we're doing this for Jesus. And it, it, we are one body. We are the body of Christ in the Bay Area, in this world. We need to be for each other because we are for the name of Jesus. But there was that fleshliness, that jealousy, that internal desire wrestling within me to want to do something that ultimately would reflect well upon my name. We all struggle with that. How about you, brothers and sisters? Do your passions, like James talks about, do your passions get aroused within the church in this way? Do you feel a tinge of jealousy if somebody else gets praised or honored or maybe is seen as more spiritual than you? Particularly if they're doing something that maybe you also do or maybe that you've been praised for in the past. Are you sensitive, particularly sensitive about getting all the credit that you, that you think you deserve 
for the things that you've done or the ways that you've served God. And it irks you so bad when people don't recognize that. Is there the desire there within you for your own name to be lifted up and to be recognized? Brothers and sisters, it is good to honor those who deserve honor. The Bible tells us to do that. But when we seek it because we feel like we need it because it bolsters our sense of identity and who we are, that's a problem. And that is the seed for division within the body of Christ. In fact, brothers and sisters, one of the stories of the the greatest division in humanity was the story of the Tower of Babel. You may be familiar with it from Genesis chapter 11, which actually led to the dispersion of people all over this world. What caused it? What was their motivation? They said, the people said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. How ironic it is that the very thing that they were seeking to do when their motivation and goal was to make a name for themselves, it led to the great, one of the greatest divisions that we've experienced in the history of humanity. Seeking to make a name for yourself ultimately, inevitably, leads to division with other people and within the body of Christ. So what do we do, brothers and sisters? What is the ultimate solution to this? Well, simply here. Paul, he asks three rhetorical questions here. Very simple. He says, is Christ divided? No, of course not. Like Pastor Joey preached on a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 12, we're one body. We are the body of Christ. For us to be divided, it would be like dismembering the body of Christ. But we are one. We are one body. Christ is not divided. So how can we divide ourselves? Obviously, the answer is no. Was Paul crucified for you? No, of course not. Jesus was the one who was crucified for you. He was whipped and tortured. He was nailed to a cross and hung up there and asphyxiating, bleeding to death, dying upon a cross. He was the one who was crucified for you so that your sins could be forgiven. Jesus, not me, not Paul. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. You're baptized in the name of Jesus. When you go into the water, it symbolizes that you have died to your old self. The power of sin is broken because Jesus died on the cross for you. And when you come out of the water, it symbolizes the empty tomb and resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is also at work in you so that you can walk with Jesus. It was Jesus who died and rose again. Paul is saying it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the one. That is what it is all about It is about lifting up the name of Jesus. How do we avoid making church and life about our own name? 
How do we avoid giving into the flesh in that way? Let me tell you this. It's not by saying, I will not think about my name. I will not think about my name. I will not exalt my name. I will not lift up my name. Oh, they just praised that other person, honored that person there for something that I also serve in and something that I also do. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think of it. It's not about my name. It's not about my name. That's, that's not what we do. Trying to not think about your own name is like trying to not think about a pink elephant. Can't do it. You can't do it. What, what do we do? do, we, do we, we don't try to not think about our own name. The answer is to become so enamored and enraptured by the name of Jesus in what he has done for us that the goal and the purpose and the very existence of your life is about lifting up the name of Jesus, honoring him, and giving him all the praise and the glory and the honor. The more we fall in love with the name of Jesus, the more we will not think about our own name. The more we will not care about getting the credit because as long as Jesus gets the credit, the more we will not care about being praised because, hey, as long as Jesus is getting the praise, I don't care. That's what I want. I want Jesus to be glorified and lifted up. I want everybody in this world to know the name of Jesus, to bow at the name of Jesus. That's why we do missions, and we want all of this world to know the name of Jesus and not my own name. That is the way that we overcome divisions through wanting to lift up our own name. Brothers and sisters, how much, how often do you think about the name of Jesus? I encourage you, like Paul, to meditate, to reflect, to remember upon this Jesus who was crucified for you, upon this Jesus who was raised from the empty tomb so that you could walk in newness of life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If we make our life about exalting his name, our name will become a distant memory. Like John the Baptist who said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. May that be the heart of every one of us here. Because brothers and sisters, when we, when we really grow in that way and by the grace of God and his spirit working within us, we will, we experience freedom from needing to live for your own name. Look at what Paul said. It's really quite amazing if you look at verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Apparently, if you baptize somebody, it was kind of like a way back then to kind of exert some ownership over somebody. Because, I don't know, apparently it seemed like people were like, oh, Paul baptized me, so I'm one of Paul's. Who baptized you? Some no-name dude? Paul baptized me. Apollos baptized me, that eloquent preacher of the gospel, I was baptized by him. There could have been an easy way for Paul to really feel puffed up by all the people that he baptized. But look at what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm actually happy that I did not baptize most of you so that there's no way that you can use that as a way of saying that you follow me. Paul is actually happy that he doesn't have things that he could use that he could boast in. Look at the freedom that he has. 
because he is in love with the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, how good and glorious it is when we can live that way. I really don't care about my own name. I just love the name of Jesus. That is the purpose and the goal of my life, to lift him up. That's the purpose of our church, to lift up the name of Jesus, not the name of renewal, not the name of AMI, to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what we are about. How freeing and how beautiful. And how much is at stake as well. Jesus said, and I'm wrapping up here, he said this to his disciples, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Brothers and sisters, there is so much on the line here. When we agree, when there is no division, when we commit to not letting there be division amongst us, but we elevate and lift up the name of Jesus, Jesus says the world will know, the world will know that God is with you. Because in this fractious, divided society, when they look at a church that is truly one in that way, loving each other, having everything in common, lifting up the name of Jesus, not letting petty things or their own egos get in the way, the world says that's really something special. In this fractious and divided political area where everybody's fighting, where it seems like there's always something to argue over, when they see a church that is united in this way, they go, that's something special. That's something spiritual. That's something maybe even divine. How do you do that? How do you, you're different people. You're from different parts of the country. You're from different backgrounds. You do different things. How are you so united? We say because of Jesus. That means something to this world. But when we are divided, when we squabble, when we fight, when we compete with each other, when we feel jealousy, when we let these things divide us and the world just sees brokenness and church split after church split after church split and politics, they say, you're no different from any other organization and anything that we're doing. It all looks the same. Brothers and sisters, there's too much at stake for us to be divided. I appeal to you as Paul appealed to you. Let us agree. Let us be one. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, is there anything that you, you can do today to strengthen unity within our church? Is there anything that you can personally do to strengthen unity within our church and prevent division? Is there, is there a conversation that you need to have with somebody? Maybe you need to initiate a conversation because there's some tension or there's something dividing. And, and maybe you can kind of like be in the same room, but you'd rather not sit near each other. And, and you're thinking, I could just kind of avoid the person. The church is big enough for me to be able to do that. Is there, is there a conversation that you can initiate to talk about those things for the sake of unity and not letting there be anything that divides you? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? That you need to, to seek the grace of God and say, Jesus, help me to understand how much you have, been, you have forgiven me, how much you've been crucified for the sake of my forgiveness. 
and help me to really be able to forgive this person for the sake of unity within our church. Or maybe you need to be You need to be the one that is forgiven. Maybe you need to go up to somebody and ask for forgiveness and not just sweep it under the rug and not think, well, it's not a big deal. It's been a few weeks. It's been a few months. No, maybe there is something still in that brother or sister's heart because I I was insensitive because I said something that might have hurt them and I should go and I should apologize and seek forgiveness for the sake of unity. Have you given up being in community or being with us together in a meaningful way? Because that's the foundation for us to be able to have unity. We cannot have unity if we're not together and spending time together and together as a community. Brothers and sisters, is there anything that you can do today to strengthen unity in our church? Because it is that important. The name of Jesus is at stake here through our witness to the world. My prayer, brothers and sisters, my hope is that you know, as we celebrate five years of God's goodness to us, that the next five years, that that many things would happen. I pray and hope that we will have um, a plurality of elders raised up within our church to lead this church together so that this church will not be a cult of personality. I hope it's not. It will not be about my name or one man's name as the pastor, but it will be about a group of leaders shepherding this church. My prayer is that we will not become a a mega church of 2,000 people because that gets attention and that gets written up and people praise that and say, oh, you must be doing something really great. But instead that that we could be a church, 10 church, 10 healthy churches of 200 people each and not named renewal with different names because we're not building a brand here. We're building the name of Jesus. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. That's what we want here in the Bay Area and anywhere else that by the grace of God, we can plant a church. In the next five years, brothers and sisters, may the name of Jesus be exalted more and more through this community that God has graciously bought through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm closing here in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, one name, the name of Jesus May that be what we strive and what we work towards, laboring with all our energy to lift up the one name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.